Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we come to our text this morning, the Apostle Paul begins, begins at this point to start working out how the body functions together and the necessity of the body functioning together. We find in the first three chapters the plan of salvation that God gives to us. And then we find from chapters 4 through 6 the working out or the, the Christian walking together because it's not a solitary walk. We are called to walk together as the people of God. We have been joined and knit together so that what every joint supplies would provide health for the body of Christ. Spiritual growth, spiritual blessings by what every gift that God has given in the life of the church. That's a walking together to build one another up, to edify, to encourage one another in the things of Christ. That's what true Christian fellowship is. It's not talking about the weather It's talking about the things of Christ. It's bringing the things of Christ to one another. It's encouraging one another in the Lord Jesus Christ because that is where the comfort of the believer is. You know, you went through this past week. How was your week? Did you have a difficult week? Did you have a struggle this week? Did you have problems this week? Did you have difficulties? How many sins do you think you committed this past week? We need to encourage one another in the things of Christ that even though we fall down daily, Christ never did. And even though that I fall down, I can never fall overboard and be lost forever. Because Christ was one who had suffered the eternal damnation in the place of His people. We can be reminding one another that we are forgiven in Jesus Christ. There is not enough of that that goes on in the life of the congregation. Of encouraging one another, building one another up in the things of Christ. So often and too often, what we do is we gather on the Lord's Day and then we depart and we don't see one another. We don't talk to one another. There's no communication with one another all throughout the week. And then we come together and that becomes a bad habit where we don't even communicate with one another. I understand not being able to see everybody in the congregation every week. I I get that. I understand that. But the day in which we live, the communication, that it's so easy to communicate, it flows so easy. Texting, how long does it take? it's, It's very minimal time it takes to be able to send an encouragement to somebody. Somebody that's down, somebody that's struggling. Somebody that's having a difficulty. And this is the life of the body encouraging and building itself up in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that we don't do that as we ought. We understand we don't do that as we ought. My question is not do we do that as we ought. Do we even do that? Do we even strive for that? Now, beloved, as we're going to see in this particular text... That's your responsibility as a member of the body of Christ. Nowhere in Scripture do we find you coming to worship and leaving and having no correspondence with the body of Christ throughout the week. That is foreign to the teaching of Scripture. That's as foreign as as one who calls himself a Christian, but they're not a member of a congregation. That's nowhere taught in Scripture either. Those that have been gathered together by Christ join with like-minded believers. 
They join together. They keep one another accountable. They encourage one another. They stir up one another to love and good works. You have a responsibility, beloved, even as I do. But you have a responsibility. And that responsibility does not entail you coming and you partaking of benefits and then you leaving and not then giving out benefits that you have then partaken of. You are to be one that encourages other members of the body of Christ. Christ has called us for that purpose. No independency in the body of Christ. We are dependent upon one another. We need one another. I need you. And you need me. We need each other. There is one body, one head, many members of that one body. And in that one body, all the members don't have the same function. Now, I've told you this before. Paul often, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12... He uses the analogy of the physical body to speak about the spiritual body of Christ. Now just imagine that for a minute. Just picture that in your mind. And I'll just use the hand because you see it is visible. I've got the four fingers and the thumb. Now within my hand, within these fingers, all of these, these, these fingers don't have the same function. They don't have the same ability. They don't have the same capability. But when they work together in conjunction, much can be accomplished. If they work separately from one another, there becomes a difficulty with my hand in getting things done. You know, uh, you, you think about texting. You, I don't think anybody in here, you may prove me wrong, but I don't think there's anybody in here that texts with their pinky. Do you? Do you, do you? It's pretty hard. Usually it's this finger here. Writing is involved in that finger. No, it writes with just their pinky. What's the point? Differing members, differing functions, and they are used to edify and build up the whole. Part for the whole. Each part functions as an integral part of the whole, to bring wholeness. So when there is a part that's absent or missing, then there is a dysfunction, as it were, in the life of the body. God sets the body together as He pleases, and He gifts the body as He pleases, so that the body would then be dependent upon Him and one another and build one another up in the function of the church. The functionality of the body. The working of the body. That there would be a building up and an encouraging one another. A strengthening of one another. That's what building one another up is. There would be a strengthening of the body of Jesus Christ. By what every gift supplies in the body of Christ. So, notice... <clears throat> In our text, verse 11. The apostle says, And he himself, he's speaking of Jesus Christ. You see the context there. Jesus is the one who led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. So, each member then has at least one gift, spiritual gift, not a natural talent, a spiritual gift, 
to function within the life of the body. And notice verse 7, and to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And what is that for? For the edifying of itself in love. So the gifts weren't given for you to edify yourself. They were given so that you might edify and encourage the other members of the body of Christ. Now it becomes imperative, doesn't it? To know where you are gifted in the life of the church. Where you are gifted in the body of Christ. What is it that God has gifted you with? Now there are different listing of gifts that we find in 1 Corinthians. It's a couple in 1 Corinthians. One in 1 Peter. We find some here in Ephesians. Paul speaks of that in Romans as well. But recognizing as you are one who is in the Word of God, reading, cultivating the Word, praying that God would reveal to you where you have been gifted in the life of the church, there will also be in that a desire, an ability a desire to do particular things, you will rejoice in that particular gifting. Sometimes I think that people, uh, they have this idea that, you know, God gifts us and what he gifts us to do is going to be a miserable life for you. No, I mean, there's joy in the Lord. There's joy in serving the Lord. And therefore, where God has gifted you, there's going to be in joy involved. Now, there's different contexts within the Christian uh, service, within using your gifts. Sometimes the context that you might be in might not be the most joyous occasion, but you have joy in exercising your gift. I can say that I have joy when I preach the Word. I I once related that to Eric Liddell in the, the movie Chariots of Fire. He makes this comment when his sister told him, you know, you've got to go to China and be a missionary. This is what God has called you to do. He says, yes, I have a desire to do that, but I'm not going yet because I'm running. I'm running races. And you know what? I feel God's pleasure when I run because God made me fast. And he understood that God had gifted him. And he understood that he had pleasure when he did what God had gifted him to do. And then he ended up going off and becoming a missionary and then died of a brain tumor. But nevertheless, that when, I, when I heard that, you know, I have joy when I preach. But there are some contexts when I'm preaching, it's not a joyous context. It's not a joyous occasion. It's not always like gathering together uh, with the people of God with whom I am familiar. It's not as joyous for me to preach to congregations where I don't know the people. It's much more joyful to me to see your faces every Lord's Day, and to be able to preach specifically to this congregation. There is joy involved in that. So, you've got to be one who is cultivating the Word to know the gifts that God has given you. And beloved, if you're in Christ, you have a gift. At least one gift. You may have more than that. Now, what are you doing with your gift? Because God regards use and theft as a miswaste of His gift. It's a misuse, a waste of his gift. It's theft, which God calls. I mean, let me just be bold and say that there are some of you this morning that are stealing from God. Because you're not using the gifts that God has given to you. And he's given them to you to glorify him and edify his church. And if we're not aiming and striving for that, You're stealing from the Lord. It's not the unpardonable sin. It's a sin. You need to confess that to the Lord. 
You, and you know who you are, who you come on Sunday and you reap the benefits and then you run off and you have no contact with the body of Christ throughout the week. And then you come again and you reap, and that's all you do is reap the benefits, but you give nothing. You're a, you're a consumer. That's all you're doing is consuming the benefits. You're to be a giver. Not only a consumer, but a giver. You're to give to the body of Christ. That's giving to the Lord. That's serving the Lord. So Paul says, God, Christ gave some to be an apostle, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Now, there is the extraordinary and then there is the ordinary. The extraordinary gifts, which we find Paul fills those out in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, would be the apostles and the prophets. These are not the Old Testament prophets. These are prophets in the New Testament. The apostles were those that were specifically chosen by Christ. They were chosen by Christ to pen His revealed word. That revelation that was given by God, they were to pen that revelation. They were also those that worked extraordinary miracles, signs, and wonders to confirm the message of the gospel. People get all bent out of shape and all off base with regards to miracles, signs, and wonders. They had as their purpose of confirming the messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were sent, they were chosen, sent by Christ for those specific purposes. We don't have apostles today. Christ chose 12. You can add Paul being the 13th, replacing Judas, uh, however you want to number them. When the last apostle died whom Christ had chosen, that was it. There are no more apostles in, in the narrow sense of the word on this earth. We have the apostles' doctrine. The prophets were those that would proclaim the revelation that was given to them in Scripture. They may receive direct revelation of the Lord uh, in the early church. But just like the apostles, when the apostles uh, vanished, when there were no more apostles, when the last one died, so the prophets. They were, as Paul says, the foundation of the church. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And that's built on the word of Christ, isn't it? Christ is the cornerstone. Christ upholds the whole of the building. That's what it's built upon. The teaching of the apostles and prophets. And so we look to the teaching now. And we test all things by the teaching of the apostles' doctrine. Is it in accordance with God's word? That's what we want to ask. We don't need signs and wonders and miracles, which Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12. The signs, the wonders, the miracles, they were all gifts of an apostle. And once the last apostle, which was John, when he died, that was it. There were no more apostles. Now, there are apostles in this sense, in the broader sense, of one cent. Pastors are sent. I'm not an apostle in the narrow sense, like the twelve, but in that I'm sent. The church sends out, and they are sent by the Lord, gifted by the Lord. This is the day now that we live in. You should not expect the extraordinary things. Signs, wonders, gifts of healings, 
tongues, miracles, those passed away. 1 Corinthians 13 is clear on that. They ran themselves out. They had a duration. They had a purpose. That purpose has ended because the foundation has been laid and the completion of the New Testament canon has come. There's no more need for them. Now, some of you are probably saying, well, he doesn't think there's anything as such as miracles. Not in the sense that you're probably thinking. Do I think that God can miraculously heal? Yes. Do I think there are times when somebody goes and they have a test and it says it's cancerous and then they come back a month later and they can't find the tumor? I'm sure that that happens. And I'm sure the Lord has done that. But you know what? As nobody on this earth has the gift of healing where they're walking around touching people and healing. If they are, why do we have hospitals? There is no gift of healing. And people that follow Benny Hinn and all those faith healers, they're deceived. Because that ain't happening. That's all trickery and the foolishness of men. But you know, people want to be saved. They want to be healed from infirmities. So they're easily manipulated. But when you know the truth, as Jesus said, the truth sets you free. There are no more. When it's interesting, when, when the apostle speaks about gifting, uh, the latest letter that we have you know, with regards to the gifts is First Peter. And in that he mentions two. Paul mentions many more. Why? Because, again, church is being built. It's the foundation is there being laid. But as progressive revelation goes on, it's less and less. It's not needed. We have the writing of Scripture. I don't determine what somebody says by the way I feel. It's by the truth of God's Word. Whether it's true or not is tested by the standard, the plumb line, which is God's Word. Peter comes up with the two, serving gifts, speaking gifts. That's it. So we live in this day. You got it. It's the ordinary. It's the Word and the sacraments. Now, beloved... God has given us gifts, offices in the church. And he's given men to the office. Let me be clear with this. Any woman that stands in the pulpit and wants to take on the role of a pastor has usurped that office. That is contrary to the teaching of God's word. And therefore, it is an abomination in God's sight. And you cannot wiggle your way around the teaching of the New Testament. You just simply have to discount 1 Timothy, Titus, Acts, 1 Corinthians 14. You'd have to get rid of those things for a woman to be able to stand and teach other men. They were not given to the office. It's men for the office. When they look for qualified men to serve in these particular offices, pastor, teacher, elders, deacons, and that's what it is, men... The paradigm is always given in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, Acts chapter 6, of men. There is no requirements given in Scripture for women serving in that office. You would think, wouldn't you, that our God would give us the requirements in Scripture for women to serve in the office if in fact they were gifted and called to these particular offices. Now, it's in no wise to say that men are better than women. That's not the point. It is God's design. 
It is what God has ordained, and that is what we are to submit to. Now, we live in a schmaltzy day. People don't say anything. They don't stand up and say, you know what, that's wrong, that's sin, that's contrary to Scripture, and point out three or four texts of Scripture. Nobody says anything. I don't get that. I just said it. I said it publicly. Some of you will go out and you'll tell your friends, well, my pastor said, blah, blah, blah. That's what you'll say, right? And I say it based upon the truth of God's Word. So, the pastor, some, not all, some, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. The evangelists and the pastors, and I think the pastors, teachers, is a combination. Pastors teach. It's not like a separate category. The Greek instruction, uh, it, it, it lends to that, that the pastor-teacher is a function. It's what he does, poema is the, the Greek term there. He guards, he protects, he shepherds the flock, and he does so by teaching. And there's an aspect in that in the book of Acts with regards to preaching as well. The evangelists and the pastors, they replaced the apostles and prophets. So from the extraordinary to the ordinary. Now, evangelists are simply those that had the gift to be able to go out and evangelize. Not just simply bear witness, but an unction of the Lord to be able to bring the gospel in, in an unusual way. You would say boldness, knowledge, understanding, zeal for doing those things. Ever see somebody street preaching? That kind of evangelism, which we're not all given to. Some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Not all. As Paul, the Apostle Paul says, are all apostles? It demands a, it's a rhetorical question. It demands a no response. No, they're not all apostles. Are all prophets? No. Are all have the gifts of healing? No. Do all do miracles? No. Some. Not all. So, the pastors, teachers, what are they called for? What's the purpose? Why has God given, and this is what Christ does, He constantly gives. The, the, the Greek term give didomai, uh, freely given. Christ freely gave Himself. He gave Himself, He's giving Himself to the church. He gives Himself through the offices that He has given for the equipping of the saints to do the work of ministry. That's why pastors are necessary. They are to teach the people of God. They are to preach the word of God. And they are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Notice that there, verse 12. For the equipping of the saints. Equipping. Preparing. Bringing a completeness to the body of Christ. That's what it means. Bringing what is necessary to the people of God. Equipping them in the things of the Lord for the work of ministry. Notice that. God has gifted each one of us, and in that gift there is a corresponding work for you to do in the body of Christ. And the pastor is to teach that truth. He is not to hold back anything that is in the Word of God. I, I came across a pastor one time, a Reformed minister, who said, he came right out and said, there are things in God's Word that I will not preach. I, I was shocked. I was taken aback. I, if you could believe it, I was speechless at that moment. I couldn't believe what I heard. 
Paul said that we are innocent of the blood of all men because we have not we, we, we have not stopped ourselves from declaring the whole counsel of God. We declare the word of God. There are hard things and difficult things. They need to be preached. There are easier things in God's word. They need to be preached. It all needs to be preached because we need a balance. I think that's the genius of going through, just like we have now in Ephesians 4. There is a balance there because all the nutrients are there in the book of Ephesians. It edifies and encourages the soul. It builds us up. It doesn't keep us lopsided. You, know, you preach on one topic Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, you become lopsided. You know, one of those are walking down the street, hey, he should have had a V8. You know, you're, you're off, there's something, you're tilted, you're not right. A lot of people, a lot of Christians can be like that because they get off on one thing and that's all that they do is the one thing and they're deficient on many other things. We need all the counsel of God. I'm not going to be so ignorant to say, I know exactly what you need. I know in general, but I don't know exactly what each one of you needs in particular. That would be different. That would differ from person to person. Maybe you need more assurance of salvation in your life. Maybe you need a more understanding of the sovereignty of God. Maybe you need a better grasp and a handle on the providential working of God in your life. Maybe you need a better understanding of a life of prayer. Maybe you need to handle better the I am's of Scripture, speaking about the seven I am's of Christ. Maybe you need a better grasp of Christ being truly God and truly man in one person, incomprehensible to our finite minds. It's all in the Scriptures. And God will dole that out. He will apply that as Christ walks among the candlesticks ministering to His people. So this purpose is for the edifying of the saints, the holy ones. So beloved, you have a work of ministry. This is not you coming and throwing money into the offering plate for the pastor to do all the work of the ministry of Hope Reformed Church. This is a function of the body. My function, my purpose, is to preach, to teach, to pray, to visit the sick, to care in those particular ways. And you are to live that out as well. It's not just me and the elders that go to the hospital. You have a ministry too. You have a responsibility to visit the sick. To visit the widows, the orphans. You have a responsibility to edify, to build up, to encourage, to speak encouraging words to one another. You have a responsibility to come alongside other members who are struggling. You who are spiritual, Galatians 6, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. You have a responsibility, beloved. This thing of coming and, and sitting in a worship service and then leaving and never being a part of the body is foreign to the life of Scripture. We are to be actively involved in one another's lives. That's why this virtual church, they call it, that's absolutely idiotic. It doesn't exist. It can exist. You cannot fulfill your calling as a believer virtually. We are to be face-to-face. -face. We are to be a people that are engaged in one another's lives. That's how the body stirs itself up. I mean, could you legitimately call my finger part of the body if it gets chopped off and thrown away? 
you would say what? Look, he's got a finger missing. That's how people are. They come and they, they come and go and are not involved. There's equipping for the edifying of the body of Christ. All right, This is the pastor's responsibility. And pastors who don't preach the word are not edifying the congregation. Pastors who don't open up the scripture, do not dialogue God's word with the people of God, they are not edifying the people of God. They, they need to be cast out. They need to be removed from the pulpit. They need their credentials taken from them because they have not been called to that. This day, you know, the model that we have in our day and age, what is it? It's not preaching. It's not equipping the people by ministry of the word. It's doing other things. Programs. I hate programs. But that's what the church wants to use. Well, let's do puppet shows. Let's do plays. Let's do skits. You know, let, let's have a, a circus day. We can all go out to the circus. I'm not against the circus. But that's not edifying the body of Christ. That's not the function of the pastor. People come, you know, have a youth group so you could take our kids to the zoo. You take your kids to the zoo. That's your responsibility. My responsibility is not taking your kids to the zoo or the movie or plays or anything else. I can do that and it wouldn't be wrong if I did, but that's not my responsibility and calling. That's your responsibility as parents. You edify them in that way. Take them out to the zoo. You teach them about the birds and the bees, the flowers and the trees and all the different animals in God's kingdom. You do that. Now, I get tired of that nonsense. People want to put that stuff on me. We don't come to the church because, you know, they don't have a, a zoo club. He doesn't take the kids to the ball game and all that stuff. You take them to the ball game. I'm to edify and preach and teach God's word. That's my calling. I'm to build them up in the things of Christ. So, yeah, when he comes, what does he do? He brings the Bible. Why does he bring the Bible? That's my calling. That's my gifting. That's where God has called me. That's what I desire to do. That's ministry. Our day and age, we, we get a guy who stands up there and with, a, with a glass pulpit so everybody is, he can be seen, you know, visible. He stands up there with his little skinny jeans on and then he talks about some nonsense. Never opens up the Word of God. That's not edifying the people of God. That's how people then determine whether or not that's the church they want to join. So make me feel good. Oh, he made me laugh. I like that. I like coming and laughing. And you know what he did? He didn't ask for an offering either. I don't ask for an offering. God commands it. It's not me or the elders, the consistory asking you. It's God commanding it. And we're to worship God as he has commanded us in his word. So the edifying of the body of Christ... I'm to edify, and you are to edify. You are to encourage until we all come to the unity of the faith. Notice the aim is unity. You can't have unity, beloved, if there is not the stirring up of the gifts in Christ's church. You can't have unity if there's no cultivating God's word. You can't have unity if we're not bringing the word of God, being taught the word of God, instructed by the word of God, edified and encouraged by the word of God. There can't be unity. There'll only be disunity. There'll only be disharmony. Two can't walk together unless they are agreed, and they are agreed as the Spirit works through the Word, changing the mind so that we all think the same thing. That's the goal. That is where we're aiming, is to think the same thing, that we might then be a mature man in Christ, a mature body. 
Number one, how are you stirring up other believers with the things of Christ? Number two, would you say that we are a mature body of Christ? Would you say that gifts are flourishing and functioning as they ought in the life of the church? Can you see it? Have you partaken of that? Can you, can you feel it as it were? The body functioning, functioning together, coordinating together, moving together. Can you see the children of Israel as one body moving across the Red Sea? You see it? It wasn't like in little groups and pockets. They moved together as the people of God. They were together. That's the togetherness of the body. Is that bringing unity? Are you part of this body bringing unity to this congregation? That's your responsibility. You have a share in that. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. The faith. This is not subjective. This is objective. The Christian faith. The faith that was once for all delivered unto the saints. We are to know and to grow in the truth of God. And to the knowledge of the Son of God. Notice the word there, knowledge. The ordinary Greek term is gnosis. uh, Gnosko. uh, This one is epignosis. The epi, E-P-I, the prefix, intensifies the word. So it's not some basic knowledge. What Paul is talking about here is the body ministering to one another, to itself, so that the knowledge that we have of Christ is a deep, abiding knowledge. Now let me give you an example. When some of you just know about me, You haven't spent any time with me. You don't know the deep things within my heart. Because you haven't spent the time. Others of you have. So you know there is a depth within my heart. You know me in a way that others do not know me. That's what he's talking about here. Let's use the example of a marriage relationship. When you first meet your your spouse, your prospective spouse, and then you end up marrying her or him, you know very little. You know enough to say, okay, I'll marry this individual. Then you're like, I didn't know that about him. You start to learn in depth about that individual. And that's the difficulty of the marriage, right? You're naked and you're unashamed. And, And I mean that in a spiritual sense. We begin to reveal things to one another that we've never revealed to anybody else before. And so there is vulnerability there. But there's a depth of that individual, that spouse, that nobody else knows. That's what he's talking about here. We grow in a particular depth of Jesus Christ, which is not some surfacy knowledge. It is a deeper knowledge. It is going deep. Thinking about maybe you've snorkeled in the ocean. And you were on the top, and as you were on the top, just skimming along... There were many things down with the coral and fish down there that you didn't see as well because you were on the surface. Then you put the oxygen tank on and you went deep and you began examining and looking at things that you would never be able to see from the surface. And I'm not saying you're not in the water. And I'm not saying you're not swimming. You're just not at the depths that you ought to be. That's the way it is spiritually. We need to grow in that knowledge, deeper knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
I sinned today. Will Christ cast me out? You're just floating on the surface. If you knew the depths of Christ, you know that when He gave His life for you, that He covered and clothed you with His righteousness, and you will never be cast out. You will never be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You know that about Christ. You know He doesn't lie. You know that He doesn't change. You know His Word doesn't change. That's learning the depths of Christ. Not a surfacey thing. Now, this is how the body functions and it builds itself up. To a perfect man, which means a mature man. Paul says that we are to be babes in malice, but in understanding, we are to be mature. How do you, you, you grow up, don't you? Don't you tell that to people? Grow up. What do you mean by that? Act an adult. Stop acting like a child. This is what the apostle tells us as the people of God. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is the aim right there. Does the body become mature as it edifies itself, being fed the apostles' doctrine by the preaching and the teaching from the pastor, so that the church would be stirred up to edify and encourage one another and build one another up in the things of Jesus Christ. And as we do, there becomes a formation that goes on in the life of the body where we become more and more shaped and molded after the image of Jesus Christ and it's seen in the life of the church. It's seen there is an aroma, there is a smell of the body of Jesus Christ that is well-pleasing to our God. And that is the body functioning as the body. Beloved, that is the calling. We all have an aspect in this ministry. This is not my ministry. This is our ministry. We're all called to minister. We're all called to give. We're all called to provide. We're all called to be about one another's lives. To help, to encourage, to build up. I'm not talking about micromanaging. I'm talking about supporting and edifying and building up. How are you doing? Are you striving for that? Do you even know that about yourself? Where you've been gifted and what you've been called to? This is what Paul says to the body of Christ. Get busy. It is not let go and let God. It is never let go and let God. It is always, always, always trust God and get going. This is the way of Christ. Amen. Shall we pray?